good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to another episode of WNJY, a podcast for New Jersey's YMCA professionals brought to you by YPN Chapter 17. It is Monday, May 10th, 2021. I'm your host, Michael Reisman from the Hunterdon County YMCA. Today, we will have two guests on two topics with our time. First, we will introduce our chapter's YPN News Blast, featuring our communications director, Emily Michaels. Emily is Director of Human Resources for the Somerset County YMCA in Basking Ridge. Then I will speak with our very special guest, Dr. Meg Fisher from the New Jersey Department of Health's Office of the Commissioner. Dr. Fisher and I will discuss all we've come to know about the COVID-19 vaccines, New Jersey rollout, as well as facts and myths. But first, the YPN News Blast. Emily Michaels, welcome to WNJY. Good morning, Michael. Good afternoon, Michael. Good evening, Michael. (laughs) Good to be here. Thank you for joining me and providing our members all the news that's fit to cast for the month of May and beyond. So tell us, Emily, what is at the top of your list? Um, So we have a lot of great things coming up for this year. 2021 is looking up uh, for a lot of people and especially for YPN. Um, Right now, we are planning for our first official, potentially in-person, potentially virtual, potentially hybrid um, event for the fall, which is our professional development event. We will have more details shared soon, but for now, um, just keep looking out for our newsletters. Fantastic. Um, and uh, what else do you have for us? What else is going on? We've talked uh, and in previous episodes about um, professional development and learning circles. And so what else is happening around YPN that folks should be aware of? We're very active right now. And uh, it's uh, there's a lot of opportunity for folks to get involved. Absolutely. There's a ton of stuff happening right now um, in terms of professional development. And even though we are um, not able to meet so much in person this year, we have a lot of things happening online. So um, the first thing we have is our leadership learning circles, which are sponsored by our YPN Equity Initiative. Um, They're a little bit more than halfway through with the learning circles. So far, we've had some really positive feedback. There's been a lot of great discussions, and we're really excited about closing that out. Um, We'd love to hear more feedback to make sure that this is something we want to continue. But so far, it's been really, really amazing. The other part of what we're doing with YPN Equity Initiative is the mentorship program. Um, We are looking for mentors to participate. Um, We have paired off some really great mentor-mentory partnerships so far. Um, But we are looking for more mentors so we can expand this program. Um, We're going to put into, I think, into the comments, um, Jackie, Uh, Silva's email. She's the person to connect with if you are interested in being a mentor or if you're interested, again, in being a a mentee at some point. Um, There's also a a couple of other things that are happening outside of our YPN group. Um, We do have a, a good connection with our Rutgers Office of Continuing Professional Education. They have just recently announced their spring series lunch and learns Um, courses are $35 each and they're one hour right during that lunchtime. Um, And courses include cultural competency, uh, empathy and action, delivering an expectation, chattering customer experience, a lot of uh, courses that may pertain to some of our 
ORY employees. Um, if you are also looking for continuing education credits, this is a great place to get it. Um, usually they offer one credit for one hour, could be half a credit for one hour, depending on the course. Um, but we will also put the information in our SoundCloud link and it'll be in our newsletter today. So if you want to pursue the continuing education opportunities through Rutgers, um, you would pay through your association. You would pay through your association or you would pay on your own if depending on your association's, um, you know, professional development budget for this year. Um, we know it has been tough and, and we we understand that a lot of wives are not necessarily um, expanding on their professional development budgets for this year, understandably. Um, that being said, we do hope to provide financial assistance in the future um, for various you know, opportunities. At this moment, the Rucker series is not available for financial assistance though. Got it, got it, got it. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Super. We do have some free professional development. Uh, I guess it's kind of professional development. Um, so we do have, it's a little bit personal professional development as well. Um, the financial health webinar series that um, we're partnering with um, Metro YMCA of the Oranges and Prudential, um, that series is still continuing through this year. We had a number of webinars last year that were really well attended. We're still going with that. Um, so the next one is Wednesday, May 19th, it's called the way forward, seven financial tips for life after lockdown. Um, and then there will be a couple more in June. Um, all sessions are from 530 to 630 PM um, online. And we'll have more information on how to register in the link and in our newsletter today. Great. And so folks need to know, like, if you're, if you're working for the Y, then in, in all likelihood, you will be you will receive this newsletter in your Y email. Absolutely. So anyone who is a, an employee of the YMCA um, and has a link account, a Y link account, receives our emails. If you don't have a Y link account or can't join Y link, depending on your YMCA, um, you can definitely reach out to myself um, and I can add you to our contacts list to make sure that you are included in our quarterly newsletters. We do send them out once a quarter. So there's four newsletters a year. And then we do send general updates um, about events or other professional development opportunities as often as we receive them. Excellent. And so YPN is your connection and my connection to each other and to the greater Y employee community in the state of New Jersey. And so if you don't know, there's opportunities to get involved, opportunities to collaborate, as well as just opportunities to meet and vent, uh, which is which is something that I, I get to enjoy participating in my uh, in the early childhood peer community, which meets uh, which meets once a month now. For the year 2021, uh, YPN Prime is actually free to all YMCA employees, um, and the Prime membership used to be uh, $65 a year. This year, they're making it free for all YMCA employees. Um, with Prime membership, you do get some perks, we'll call it. Um, a lot of the um, perks that came along with Prime membership were pushed to the side because of COVID-19, like meeting in person and, and 
percentage off, 25% uh, off events. Um, but one thing that is really important for um, a lot of Y employees having a prime membership is being eligible to apply for an employee assistance fund grant. Um, and that is for any Y employee who is um, having an issue, uh, you know, personally, financially, um, medically, something where they might need a additional assistance um, in terms of funding. Um, so the information for how to register for YPN Prime during the year um, and also how to apply for an EAF grant, um, Employee Assistance Fund EAF grant, it will be in our newsletter. One of the great purposes of, of our YPN are the peer community meetings. Uh, if you're new to the Y or you didn't know or realize that we have department-based peer communities that meet regularly to support each other, we have a link in this SoundCloud page to take you to the schedule of meetings as we know them and contact information for the YPN board's peer community chair, Shannon Frank, who can connect you to your peer community. Each peer community has a pair of co-chairs and meet uh, regularly. So for example, the early childhood group, we were meeting weekly uh, once the, the COVID shutdown began um, and had at some point, uh, almost, I would say, 100 early childhood professionals meeting to get together to find out how we were handling the lockdowns, the quarantines, the regulations, ability to reopen, all this really existential stuff. And I think that a lot of the other departments were meeting with the same kind of regularity. And now, now the early childhood group meets once a month. Um, there's a membership group, a human resources group, a camp group, uh, a school age childcare group. And so uh, if you're interested in being part of those meetings, um, please check out the link provided in the SoundCloud description of this podcast. Emily, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time this morning. I look forward to our next News Blast next quarter. And until then, I'm sure I'll see you in our next YPN Zoom. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. Happy to be here this morning. Thank you very much. Up next, folks, Dr. Meg Fisher discusses the COVID-19 vaccines with me. Take care. Welcome back, everyone. Joining me now is Dr. Meg Fisher of the New Jersey Department of Health's Office of the Commissioner. Dr. Fisher is with me to talk COVID vaccines. Good morning, Dr. Fisher. How are you today? Good morning. I am great. How about yourself? I'm doing great as well. Thank you very much. So before we start digging in, I just wanted to take a moment to thank our colleagues at the New Jersey Alliance of YMCA's for connecting the two of us, uh, specifically my friend Marissa Davis. The State Alliance has been a vital partner to our network of YMCA professionals and an advocate of this podcast. So thank you, Marissa, and of course, Darren Anderson, Sue Cornell, and the rest of the great folks down in Trenton. Now to business, Dr. Fisher. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, to set us up, could you please explain to the listeners your role with the Department of Health, um, specific to the COVID-19 vaccines and the rollout? You bet. So I'm a pediatric infectious disease uh, trained uh, pediatrician, um, and my role in the Department of Health is actually as a special advisor to the commissioner. And in that role, I'm to help 
to get the COVID-19 vaccine into people, into arms. And I have to say that we've done a really nice job here in New Jersey of getting this vaccine moving. It's hard to believe that we had the first doses in the middle of December, and now here it is, middle of May, and we're already at more than 4 million people who have gotten one dose and over 3 million who have gotten two doses of the vaccine or the full or one dose of Moderna, so they're fully immunized. And this is great news for us in New Jersey as we try to protect everyone. We have three different vaccines that we can use. The two vaccines are what we call messenger RNA vaccines. That's the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. And what messenger RNA is, it's nothing too magic. It's a little code. And that code tells your body how to make the spike protein. And the spike protein is the little outpocketing or, or the little outbranching on the surface of the coronavirus. So if you make antibody to those spikes, then the virus can't actually get into your system. So for the messenger RNA, for the Pfizer and Moderna, that little piece of information, that little code is put into a little piece of fat a lipid nanoparticle, and then that is injected, and that is what works to help you become immune. For the J&J &J vaccine, it's a little different. It's the same idea, it's the code, but this time it's inside an adenovirus. And that adenovirus is a weakened adenovirus that can't make you sick, but it takes that little code and gets it into your body. So in both cases, you're making antibody to that spike protein, to protect you from getting COVID-19. And if you don't get it, then you're also protecting your community. So that's kind of my role and a little bit of background on the COVID-19 vaccines. Thank you. So, um, so different from prior vaccines in our history, um, my understanding is when you get your shot, you're not getting the vaccine, you're not getting the illness in the same sense as you would have gotten a dose of the illness of, um, you know, polio or smallpox to build up your immunity, this is working differently. That's exactly right. There's no virus in this vaccine. There's no pieces of the virus. There's just this information to help tell your body how to get protected, how to become immune to the virus. So uh, with Pfizer and Moderna, it's two shots. Uh, but with uh, Johnson & Johnson, it's one. And so uh, why is that? So uh, part of it is how the pharmaceutical companies tested their vaccines. And for Pfizer and Moderna, in order to get the maximal protection, they used two doses. People wonder why is it three weeks for Pfizer and four weeks for Moderna? It's simply how the, the company decided to test it. Would three weeks work? Would five weeks work? Would 10 weeks work? Likely but those uh, intervals haven't been tested. So for the two that need two doses, they've uh, selected three weeks and four weeks apart. And we know that the trial showed that after two doses, two weeks after two doses, you, you were more than 90% protected against getting COVID-19 and really 100% protected against hospitalization and death. With the J&J &J vaccine, it was tested a lot later at a very different time when there were different variants around. But again, it showed very good efficacy, 
about 60 to 70%, depending on the country, against any disease, but 100% against hospitalization and death. So three good vaccines, three good reasons to get yourself protected. And all three are available again now, right? Johnson & Johnson went away for, for a minute, right? Yes, Johnson & Johnson went on a pause. Um, and the reason for that pause was there were safety issues. A, there were six cases of a very unusual blood clot reported. So that was six cases in a time frame when there were about 7 million doses. So remember, J&J vaccine came on board February 27th. There was a pause on April 13th. So in a very short period of time, because of the really extensive safety monitoring that's taken place all through development of these vaccines, there was a question raised, is this safe? Is this safe enough? And what was found was the risk of these blood clots was one in a million. And the benefit of protecting us from COVID-19 was really felt to far outweigh that small risk. So on um, April uh, 23rd, the vaccine came back online and J&J &J is now available, it is authorized for use. Gotcha, gotcha. Dr. Fisher, how come when, uh, and maybe there's a difference between the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine in terms of the side effects, but everybody seems to do great with their first shot, right? And then the, the majority of folks that I know, whether I think whether they got the, the Pfizer vaccine or the Moderna vox vaccine, um, they got that second shot and it was just a straight up gut punch to the immune system. So, so go ahead, please. So I think what that is, it was a straight up increase, a boost of your immune reaction. And remember the signs that you're having an immune reaction are things like body aches, uh, fatigue, sleepy, headache, just, you just have the blahs. And, and that is actually a sign that your immune system is working. So it shouldn't be too much of a surprise that after the second dose, which is where you're boosting the immunity you already had, or in people who had the disease who get vaccinated, the side effects tend to be a little more exciting. A little, uh, but again, not severe. And best news of all, they're gone within about 24 to 48 hours. So a little pain for a lot of gain. So then how do, how do we explain, I know this is really nitpicky, but we were just talking before we started uh, recording that, um, that I, I was one of the lucky ones. I had very, very few, very little side effect after my second shot. What accounts for that? Yeah, so everyone's a little bit different. I also had almost no side effects after my vaccine, but I'm uh, very sure that I'm uh, protected. The reason I'm sure is because in the studies, people of all ages and all people with or without side effects, all of them made a response and were protected. Now, the interesting thing is for younger people like you, there are a few more side effects reported. For people as old as I am, anybody over, actually it's over 50, I'm well over 50, but over 65, those people are less likely to have severe side effects but everybody tends to have a little more exciting uh, side effects after that second dose. 
But again, think of it as good news, your immune system is working, but don't be concerned. If you don't have the response, it doesn't mean your immune system is not working. We're all a little bit different in the way we react to things. Does it mean that I get to brag to my friends that I never had COVID? Uh, you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't mean because they reacted strongly that they did. Correct. Correct. It just, uh, everybody's immune system is revved up a little bit differently. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, before, uh, before today, I, I tried to canvas as many folks as would participate in helping me put together some questions for you so that, uh, the YPN, uh, New Jersey chapter 17 membership who listens can, can benefit the most from our conversation in terms of, facts and fiction and, and demystifying the vaccines. And one of the things that, that I did hear uh, a bit about regarding uh, potential apprehension or hesitation to get vaccinated is this idea that because, um, because the vaccines were given emergency authorization by the FDA, as opposed to the fully vetted, full-throated uh, clearance and authorization that there's there's a big question mark about what the potential long-term effects could be of the vaccine. And so it, is there any way to speak to that at all? Sure. Well, well, I have some some uh, some reassuring news to you. The first is all three of these vaccines went through exactly the phase one, phase two, phase three trials that are required for any vaccine ever developed. The difference was, instead of doing all of phase one, then starting phase two, about halfway through phase one, they started the phase two studies. Phase one studies are tens to hundreds of adults to try to figure out exactly what dose. Phase two studies are hundreds more of adults to look for any safety concerns. Phase three are thousands, and in this case, more than 40,000 people in the trials. And that's really to see, does it work? And also, is it safe? So all three vaccines went through all those trials. And then the huge difference is the companies were incentivized to start making vaccine way back in phase one. So we didn't have to wait until phase three was done for the company to start manufacturing the vaccine so it would be ready for use you know, a year or so later. So in that way, it was ready much sooner. I've told you about the very close monitoring system that's going on. We've had monitoring for vaccines forever. There are, there's the VAERS system, there are, there's the vaccine safety data link system, there's um, universities and other uh, federal agencies. And then for this vaccine, we have something called vSafe, which is a CDC um, uh, app that you get on your phone and they actually call me, you know, they, they don't call me, they text me uh, every uh, week or so to let me know, you know, or to ask me, how am I doing? Did I have any symptoms? Did I get COVID? So very, very close monitoring. And that's actually what allowed them to find out that there was a question about the J&J &J vaccine so promptly. So excellent follow-up. Now, you know, the, your question was really about long-term effects. You know, we we can't uh, we we can't say what long term effects are when we haven't had the vaccine very long. 
However, if we look at the scientific basis for the way these vaccines are made, there is no reason to anticipate any kind of long-term effects. So when you talk about messenger RNA, uh, that gets us to thinking about um, our genetics. Now, um, that, that's not to say that the vaccines interfere with your DNA code, correct? Correct. So messenger RNA is that little code. It stays in the cytoplasm, the outside part of your cell, and it can't, it doesn't get into the nucleus. The nucleus or the, you know, the, the center of the cell is where your chromosomes are, where your DNA lives. So that messenger RNA doesn't get anywhere close to your DNA and can't affect your DNA. Furthermore, that messenger RNA is broken down very quickly. So it's broken down within hours to certainly less than a couple of days. So there's none of it left to do any kind of long-term uh, effect on anything. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, what about uh, in terms of uh, fertility in women? I have heard that uh, young women are concerned uh, about their own fertility as a po possible side effect of the vaccine. Sure, um, and a lot of there's a lot of misinformation and and an appropriate concern. I, people absolutely, uh, you know, should be concerned about any vaccine that they're using for themselves or their children or anyone else. What we know about this vaccine is that it has no effect on eggs. It has no effect on sperm. And the other concern was about is there something about the spike protein that is like the placenta? which is of course what you need when you're having a baby and could making antibody against the spike protein somehow affect your subsequent placentas. And the information is no, it does not. Now, how, do, how can I say that so clearly? Well, we know that people who get COVID the disease make antibody to the spike protein. There is no problem with fertility in people who have gotten COVID and recovered. So we know that the disease itself does not affect fertility, and we have absolutely no reason to think that any of these three vaccines would have any effect on fertility. And now we've given over a million doses of vaccine in this country, and there's no evidence that there's an effect on fertility. Thank you. That's, that's, uh, that's helpful uh, for everyone. What are what do you what are some of the things that you're hearing in your circles um, in terms of folks being apprehensive or hesitant, uh, you know, who are maybe less informed than they should be? You know, I'm sure you get it from all angles. Uh, what are some of the things that you hear? Well, some of the same ones we talked about, you know, was it made too quickly? Is it safe enough? Are the pharmaceutical companies in it comes some kind of conspiracy? And then, of course, there's the things like microchips and, you know, um, all kinds of, of uh, concerns that the federal government is in cahoots with the pharmaceuticals and, you know, they're trying to alter us in some way. So there's a lot of conspiracy um, stuff out there. And, and then there's a lot of just genuine, I I'm, I'm concerned. I, I want to just wait and think about this. I want to be sure my questions are answered. And those are all good kinds of things. We want people to ask questions, to be sure that they understand what's, what these vaccines are meant to do and how they can be protected. 
We also want them to understand that this is absolutely our best way to get back to whatever will become the new normal, um, but to get back to things like uh, being with others and not having to wear a mask, hugging our grandparents, hugging our, our friends, uh, having dinner with, with uh, other vaccinated people. I, I mean, these are things we wanna get back to. We also wanna get back to things like baseball games. We wanna get back to concerts. We wanna get back to, let's go to the shore and not worry about whether my blanket is five feet from your blanket. So to get back to that normalcy, we really would like to get everybody vaccinated. Which takes me to the to the obvious next question, which is, uh, what is herd immunity, and how how long till we get there, and do you think we'll get there? Um, so so uh, keep in mind, I'm the eternal optimist. So yes, I think we will get there. Uh, herd immunity is a concept that if you have enough of a group, either immunized or protected because they had the disease, so now they're immune, there won't be any way for a virus to spread because there aren't susceptible people. There aren't enough susceptible people. So the one person who gets it will have contact with a bunch of people who are already immune and the disease won't spread from person to person. Now it's a little tricky because herd immunity the, the number, the percent of the population that you need to be immune varies dramatically from one infection to another. So if we talk about measles, measles is probably the most highly contagious virus that we know of. Um, and with measles, you need more than 95% of the population immunized in order to be protected and have herd immunity because it's just so contagious. For every one person with measles, they will infect 18 susceptible people. So it just spreads rapidly. For SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, we think that number is, is uh, lower and it's somewhere between 70 and 85%. Now that doesn't mean that that many people have to be immunized because remember, a whole lot of people have already gotten this vaccine, or I'm sorry, have already gotten the disease. A lot of people have already gotten COVID-19 and they're immune because of natural disease. So if we take the vaccinated population plus the immune from disease population and put them together, I do believe that we will get to herd immunity. But it probably won't happen until we immunize children. And that's because children account for 26% of our population. So what do we know about the timeline for vaccinating children? Do we have a and do we have a sense of how side effects will impact them? Sure. So younger people tend to have less side effects, so that part's good. Vaccine is already available for children 16 years and older. If you're 16 to 18, you can only get the Pfizer vaccine. If you're 18 and up, you can get any one of the three vaccines. So for our adolescents and college age children, uh, college age people, let's not call them children, uh, they should get vaccinated right now. They're, they're eligible and they should get it. The very good news is that Pfizer has already asked for authorization for their vaccine down to age 12. And we anticipate by next week, which will be the third week in May, that that authorization will come through 
and we'll have a vaccine for children down to age 12. Now, once Pfizer gets the authorization, we know that Moderna and J&J won't be far behind. We also know that all three companies are, work, are testing vaccine in very young children, and we expect by the end of the year or early into 2022, we'll have vaccine for all ages, probably starting at six months. And you believe up to this point, as far as what you know, that the the answers to the questions that I asked, uh, you know, up till up to this point, are going to hold true for the, our youngest populations. Yes, what we know about children is um, when they get this infection, they don't tend to get nearly as sick as um, as teenagers or adults. So. Uh, young children appear to be relatively protected. It's not really absolutely clear why that is. They also are a little less likely to transmit infection. However, they haven't been left out by this epidemic. So we know that several million children have been infected. About 10 to 15% of the total cases in the US are in children. So a large population of children have been infected and some of them have ended up in the hospital. And some of the variants appear to make younger people even um, more ill, so that we're seeing more hospitalizations among the uh, younger age children right now. So it is important that we get them protected. The other thing that children have missed out on this year is their education. And you know, school is the job of childhood, and we've essentially put most children out of work because, uh, Learning that's not in person is just not as effective as that face-to-face -face learning, at least for most children. So we want children back in school as soon as possible, and vaccinating everyone will increase our ability to get children back to school, get their parents back to work if they want to go to work, and again, get our world back to a new normal. Do you think we'll all need a booster in six months? You know, it's possible. I think we don't, as with many things COVID, we just don't know yet. It's, it's frustrating to have to say that so many times. And I also should have prefaced at the very beginning of this podcast by saying what we're talking about today is what we know today, this day in May in 2021. It may be out of date by the end of the week, by the end of the month, or by the end of the hour. So things with COVID do change rapidly. Uh, but you know, I think we we uh, we do have uh, hope that things are are clearly getting better. Well, that's a good reason for you and I to stay in touch because as things change and evolve, uh, you'll want to come back and and give us updated information um, so that uh, you know every, so that why professionals in New Jersey can can be in the know at all times. There we go. So so one of the things that uh, it is impossible to ignore is the impact that COVID-19 has had on uh, at-risk and underserved communities, um, of which we know there are many in New Jersey. So what are you guys at the Department of Health doing to make sure that the vaccines are being delivered into the arms in those communities? So thanks for asking, uh, because there are as many different ways that we're trying to reach them as there are different groups. So this is not one size fits all. We know that the megasites were very, very 
um, efficacious. They got a lot of people immunized very quickly, a lot of high throughput, but they didn't work for people of color. They didn't work for people who couldn't get an appointment. They, you know, they didn't work for lots of people. So what we've done is we've tried to make, first of all, make vaccine available. So there's a vaccine site within a five mile radius of anyone who lives in New Jersey. Most of these are pharmacy sites, but that is now true. Within cities, that's not good enough. So within cities, we want there to be a vaccine site within a 15 minute walk of everyone who lives in a city. So, so that's first of all, getting an access, getting vaccines to where people live. The second is making it easier for people. So for instance, walk-up clinics, no longer requiring people to have an appointment has made a huge difference. It's much easier for people to, you know, whenever they get a break, run you know, to the pharmacy, get your vaccine. You don't have to have an appointment. You don't have to call ahead of time. You don't have to have an internet access. So that's, that's a huge help. Then the real uh, major thing we've done is we've set up these little pop-up sites in um, areas where there are uh, social vulnerable populations. And in those populations, we've been able to give the vaccine to lots and lots of people of color. And we've gotten the second dose into 97% of those people. So specific areas where we know there's need. And then probably the biggest thing is partnering with faith-based organizations and community-based organizations. So having churches and schools involved in getting and being part of this vaccine journey and in getting their people you know, to the sites. We also have a call center so that people can call in to make a, a, to register or make an appointment. And on the web, there's now a vaccine finder. So one little click on the vaccine finder and you can find out where around you there are vaccines being given and whether or not you need an appointment and whether appointments are available. So you can walk in, you can get an appointment. We've tried to make it as easy as we can. And of course, we're trying to educate people with podcasts like this and with, with webinars and uh, all kinds of conferences to, to try to get people the right information about these vaccines. We just launched our COVID Community Core, which are volunteers who have been educated about the vaccine and about how to get the vaccine. They're going to start going door to door in communities where the uh, vaccine uptake hasn't been as, as great as in communities where it, where it is great. So we're trying to put our resources where they're needed and whatever works, you know, there's a lots of, there's lots of different plans. There's a, a beer and a shot, uh, you know, that, uh, that the governor recently announced. Um, we have a, a program called uh, Grateful for the Shot, which uh, is on Sunday mornings. Uh, it's gonna, gonna launch on Mother's Day, this coming mo Mother's Day. So, you know, I'm grateful for the shot. I want my mother to get vaccinated. So again, we're trying all different uh, methods to try to uh, encourage people to be vaccinated. Is there a, uh, so wait, let me, let me rewind a sec. Okay. So just so that, um, so that we're clear. So uh, in those, in, in, the, in the most underserved in this communities that have suffered the most are the hospitalization and mortality rates going down? 
So the good news is the, hosp the hospitalization rate and mortality rates are going down across New Jersey. Uh, we have the lowest hospitalization rate that we've had since uh, March, since uh, May a year ago. So, so we are way down on hospitalizations. Um, the, the deaths, unfortunately, the deaths occur a little bit later. So it takes a little longer for the deaths to drop, but they are definitely on the way down. Um, they, they just unfortunately continue to occur, which you know, also makes us cognizant of the fact that you know, we can't wait. We, we, we really need to, to protect as many people as we can. And so is, is, does the Department of Health have an online hub for all this information that you've been referring to in terms of your efforts to get shots in arms? Absolutely. And it's called the COVID hub. We have a dashboard where you can find out uh, where the sites are, how each county's doing as far as getting their population immunized. And then we have the information hub where you can find out uh, how to get it, how to register, how to get a vaccine, and you can actually use that vaccine finder to get there. There's also um, on the the um, the NJ Transit. There's a, a on their website. You can see what transit line gets you to any of the vaccination sites. And Uber and Lyft are uh, offering free um, transportation to get you to sites. And uh, NJ Transit is also uh, offering. Uh, free, uh, free transportation. Dr. Fisher, thank you very much for being here with me this morning to help us be wiser for the times. Um, do you have any, uh, do you have any parting advice you'd give to the apprehensive patient in terms of making the most informed decision regarding the vaccine? Obviously besides go get the shot, right? <laughs> sure. So my advice is talk to your pediatrician, talk to your internist, talk to your physician. They are the trusted people. Get their advice. If you're not sure, if you're pregnant, you're concerned, talk to your obstetrician, talk to your midwife, whoever's helping you with healthcare, talk to them, get your questions answered. We do want everyone immunized, but we also want people to, to really understand why this is important, why it's safe, and how effective these vaccines have been. So in addition to that, of course, I'm gonna tell you, wear your mask, wear the mask over your nose and your mouth, not under your chin. Make sure that you're keeping that six foot difference, distance from other people. Some people wonder why six feet. It's because the virus is spread by the droplets that we make when we speak or spit or breathe or sing or shout. And those droplets usually fall to the ground within about three feet and almost all of them by six feet. Occasionally they'll stay in the air longer, but if you stay six feet away, you're much less likely to come in contact with the droplets. If you have a mask over your nose and mouth, you won't be inhaling the droplets, you'll be protecting yourself. And then as an infectious disease doctor, I can never not say, please wash your hands also. Uh, and if you're sick, please stay home. Don't, you know, nobody is important enough to go to work when you're sick. So stay home, recover, keep us all safe and uh, get vaccinated when you can. Thank you again, Dr. Fisher. Best of luck to you and your colleagues with the work you are doing to keep us healthy and safe as we emerge out of this devastating pandemic. YPN listeners, thanks for joining us again for the WNJY podcast. We will talk again soon.